welcome to One Star Bazaar, where we review the movies critics hate. This week, we have a special guest joining us, the film critic for the City Journals here in Utah, Dan Metcalf. Thank you. Thank Glad you to for, be here. We are so thrilled that you came to speak with us. So thank you so much for being here. Um, so I do want to start it off with, you know, as you know, we look at movies that have a 40% or less on Rotten Tomatoes and mm-hmm. or Metacritic. So what is the worst movie you've ever seen? Well, that's a, that's a trick question because there's so many. And, you know, every year, <laughs> as a matter of fact, a lot of people say, oh, you're a film critic. That's so awesome because you get to see all these free movies. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. But I always say there's a, like a one to four ratio. You got to see like four awful crappy movies before you get to one good one because there's so many movies now coming out. There are. That the ratio of good to bad is widening. So, I mean, really it is. Yeah. So I say to myself, oh, wow, that's, there's a lot of bad films that come out. Some years, and in fact, I make a best list and a worst list every year. Yeah, I did. I did check that one out this time. Yes, yes. And I had my, my, yeah. It's 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 these my worst list was a wrinkle in time. Worst this year was a wrinkle in time. So if you ask me today, the worst film of 2018 was a wrinkle in time. It's a pretentious garbage. It was an Oprah worship device, and it was just ridiculously over overblown and terrible. So that's why I tell you is my worst now. Actually, my one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life was my worst film of last year, which is Mother. Oh, yeah, no, I had not seen that. I've, I've heard it's, and, like, very different. And you're a better person for it. <laughs> that now, for having not seen that. I, I, that. That's one of the most pretentious garbage films that I've, I've ever reviewed. And it, it just comes to the point where um, every year there's that art film that everybody just adores and loves in an art film. And sometimes they're like, you know what, I just really don't care about your religious use, so-and-so author, author, director, or maybe... And that was one of them. That's one of my worst films. But if you really like it, my, my easy answer is the worst film I've seen is the very first Fast and Furious and pretty much every one after that. <laughs> if, if you my other go to, and in fact, this is on my Twitter bio, I, I say that the Michael Bay is the reason we can't have nice things because of the Transformer movies, because I really, really can't stand the Transformer. We tried watching the Age of Extinction, oh, yeah. and we fell asleep. Like I have never fallen asleep in a movie. Well, we have that in common because I did too. And then what the Knights one from last year was just terrible. That now that said, guess what happens when you remove Michael Bay from the equation? Yeah, it turns you out get to be Bumblebee, good. and it was actually pretty good. It was not terrible. We so. did. I actually I was talking to another um, podcast about it, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Is it possible that?" The thing at the end where they say, you could have been a Camaro all along, was like a metaphor for the franchise as a whole. <laughs> of like, the franchise was the beat up gross bug, and then Bumblebee yeah. is this awesome Camaro that everybody likes. Yeah, so those are my go-to worst, but I mean, my, but the fast, first Fast and Furious just bothered me on, on a moral scale. Yeah. And just to the point where, so basically, the moral of the story is, if you're an FBI agent who looks like you're 14 years old, and you're going after the bad guys, people that actually rob and steal and hurt people, and they're a bad gang. And you get bed with them, and you get to know them, and you kind of and you and you get busy with the gang leader's sister. It's okay, let them go. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically. I'm like, why did I waste? I, I seriously. And the funny thing was, back in the day, I actually rented it from Blockbuster. Blockbuster used to have the deal where if you went to the theater, it, not the theater, went to the rental store, and they didn't have it, they would give you a rain check, so you get this for free, but you got to come back later and get it. So yeah. I thought, well, so I, thought, I hadn't seen it in the theater, so I thought, oh, it was, I'm going to go check out this Fast and Furious movie. I hear so many cool things about it, and so I actually used my rain check, and I and I actually got it for free. So I thought to myself, I still feel ripped off for having used gas in my car 
to actually go to this place and get it for even free. I, I hated that yeah. film so much. And your time, too. Like, sometimes we feel like movies are so bad that we want those two hours of our lives <laughs> back after watching it. Yeah. So I'm sad that you have that experience with Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but, you know, there's a lot of movies that are inherently bad on their face, and you can tell they are. So I don't really... I, I give them, a you know, a bit of a break because, to me, they're just, like... They're, they're bad because they didn't try. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah. but movies that try hard, like Mother, even like Fast and Furious, they didn't, they, they are trying hard and they really fell flat in their face. I mean, seriously, to me, they did. Anyway. Yeah. That's a distinction we make too, is like, we're not interested in the B movies. We're not interested in the low budget. We want like a studio that really tried to make yeah. a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, when my first, my first year when I used to do my best and worst list, I do my best, worst, and my middle films. I call uh -huh. them middle because they were like, it should have been good. Oh. And it just wasn't. It wasn't really bad either. It was just wasn't really that good, you know? Yeah. A film like Next with Nicolas Cage. I mean, that was actually, it had some moments in it. I'm like... That's on our list. Yeah, it's like, I'm thinking that, that had some moments in it. And then I thought, what a piece of garbage at the end. I mean, it's like, they, it's like yeah. they things like that. So there are movies that try hard and fail. And I give them a little bit more credit, like if they're trying hard. Mm -hmm. okay. But when they, you know, it, but if they try hard and they fail because it's just terrible then i'm going to say it's terrible but if you are trying i'm talking about all the movies that you base on really awful 80s shows that are coming out chips is one of my worst films of last year <laughs> i mean these are just awful lazy lazy films yeah. that are just really inherently bad on their face so i don't consider i don't really waste my time and say how often you know, things that bad they are now there's actually a recent actually my my, my review just went up for glass okay. now my uh, I should probably swap out Michael Bay for M. Night Shyamalan because, <laughs> because to me, and when he started, I'm thinking I was really into him. I'm like, this is this guy's got a voice. He's got something new. And then yeah. I realized really well he has is a gimmick. Yeah. The yeah. gimmick is always a twist at the end. Mm -hmm. So when you know a twist is coming, it's not really a twist anymore. And so, and that's kind of where Glass is going. In, and I really, I'm very disappointed in it. But actually, I wasn't really expecting. So you're like disappointed, sure. but weren't expecting it to be good. Yeah. So it was really, I didn't really like it that much. That's bad when you go in with low expectations and then it's, it's still, still disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes with low expectations, you're almost like, huh, it wasn't actually as Like bad. when we saw John Carter, we were expecting it to be like the worst movie of all time. And it was good. Actually, I actually gave that an A, A minus. Yeah. I actually like that movie a lot. I mean, and that's one of those movies that the critics, most critics hated. And it had a huge budget, mm -hmm. yeah. And I actually liked it. I thought this wasn't that terrible. I mean, I was by, I bought into it. I, I didn't, I didn't lose too much. Honestly, the main problem with that movie, I thought, was the title, because yeah. John Carter, like, for all you know, it's a biography about one of the founding fathers, because nobody knows who, like, John Carter is the Mars. Or just the name of the book was Princess of Mars. Yeah. Just call it, you know. Even John Carter and the Princess of Mars, although that sounds like a David Bowie album. Yeah, but it's <laughs> well, actually, the original title was John Carter of Mars. It was okay. the original well, title of the movie. And to be honest with you, that movie was less of a failure of the film than it was of the marketing. You know, yeah. So it really was a it was, it was a failure of marketing. So that that was one of those things that just just blew uh, the water because of that. But also, you know, take for instance like big budget movies that flop. Sometimes they flop not because they tried. Not because they're terrible or they're bad ideas or they're poorly executed. They were overdone in terms of having too many cooks in the kitchen. Like the studio came back and completely yeah. messed it up. Think for Fantastic Four from two years ago. Yes. Three years ago. I mean, Which he has not seen, but I have. And that thing yeah. is that thing is just 
totally microwave garbage. It was yeah. so terrible. And you can tell the parts where the studio came in and said, oh, we're going to have to add this whole new part and this whole new angle and things like that. So those kind of things are, are disappointing and things like that. Take, for instance, the, 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 the last, what was Spider-Man, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man thing. Mm -hmm. That got overdone. I mean, yeah. it got completely over overmanaged and mismanaged. So those sort of things happen. Also, I'm also, I find myself biased as well for movies when they're released. So when I look at a movie and I go, oh, it's being released in January. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That maps mean they really, the studio has a lot of faith in that one. They want to put it out in the theaters when nobody goes to movies. That's right. what they really want to do. Yeah. But that's changing now. And I think you probably have a, a thought about this, about the, the quantity of movies coming out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, January is the death sentence it was, once was. Well, but there still are some garbage in there. Especially because all it takes is one studio to say, hey, what if we release our one good movie in the middle of all these garbage movies, it'll be the one that everyone goes and sees. Yeah. So eventually kind of the market will correct any right issues like that. Right? But you also find out, and the thing is that when it's being released, you'll find out that there's now the, the summer movie season starts in March now. Right. Yeah. And so it, 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 it doesn't October. end until, yeah, actually, well, no, actually it, it ends in August. Trust okay, me. Okay. There's, some really, there's some hot garbage that comes out in August usually, but sometimes it's some really good movies that come out in August. Two years ago, uh, same day, Hell or High Water and Kubu and the Two Strings, two of my favorite films of that year, were released on the same day in August. Yeah. Actually, the first uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Sixth Sense, was an August release. And it's one, in fact, it's one of the highest grossing August releases of all releases of all time. So it, there's some surprises in there. Now, I don't think, I think the Lego movie was a movie that came out in February. Uh, Black Panther was released in February. Right. Yeah. I mean, these are things that happen there. So the, the market's changing a bit and they're understanding that the audiences want it now. Mm -hmm. And so that time of year doesn't really matter as much. Okay. Next question. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so do you have a favorite movie that would surprise people? Like people would say, wait, a film critic likes this? Well, uh, there's some movies out there and I, uh, there's a couple and maybe you've not heard of them um, it, that I just, I just, I have to watch it every time it comes up. One is a Richard Dreyfuss movie from the 90s, or maybe it's the early 2000s, it's called Let It Ride. I don't know if you've no, seen I it. I haven't heard of that. Oh my heavens, it's a, it's a funny movie. It's a fun movie because it's just nuts. It's crazy, but it's one of those movies where, I mean, it's based upon this, this, this habitual gambler, his life is in shambles, and one day he just hits a lucky streak. Yeah. And he's a, he gambles on horse races. And his friends are around him just saying, all right, dude, you can't, he won a race. So you're like, he wants a thing. And so he's like, you don't mess it up. He says, he says, he said, you know what? I'm going to totally ignore everything I'm not supposed to do. I'm just going to let it ride. And so he goes through all this gamblers anonymous stuff and all these people in his life. And he just keeps going back to the horse track on the same day. Mm -hmm. And so you think at the end, okay, he's setting up for a big failure. And it's just a lot of fun. I really like that movie a lot. That's one of those things that's obscure. And it was like, and it has one of those that were released in the middle of some other time. You'd right. see it. Yeah. Um, so that's one of those, but the other one is uh, uh, that I really, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Black Stallion, the Francis Ford Coppola movie. And that was another movie that did, was not a very big box office hit, but it was from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was back there away. Um, so yeah, that's one of those movies that I just, I've always, I've always loved and adored. And of course, I, I whenever people talk about, uh, I, one of my favorite movies of all time is True Grit. The Coen Brothers version. Okay. So the the, the, re the remake, remake yeah. that we saw. Yeah. No, and that, that that's the thing. It's not a remake. No, it's actually oh, it's <laughs> actually a doing. It's actually closer to the book sort of okay. doing. Yeah. So it's a, they they, they didn't redo a John Wayne movie. They actually right. went to the book source and started over from scratch, which is one of the movies I I, I really love. I could watch that movie anytime. So I think we'll have to watch Let It Ride because it has a thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, a thirty three percent on Metacritic. 
and yet 95% of Google users like it. <laughs> so you're onto something there for sure. Yeah, I think it's one of those those failures of marketing, failures of time of time of year it was done. Yeah. But if you watch it and have a little bit of, I, I had a little fun with it. I thought it was pretty funny, and they had some funny quirky characters in it. So how have aggregate sites like Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic kind of impacted your reviews? Like you kind of mentioned that the traditional critic model doesn't really exist anymore. Like you can't just be a critic and have that be your thing. Mm -hmm. So do sites like that make it harder to be a film critic? I'll be honest with you. I actually usually ignore them. I really do. In fact, the only time I actually look at them um, is sometimes when an argument comes up about, well, somebody says, well, you like this movie, nobody else did. Well, I go, look, yeah, well, wait a minute. You're, <laughs> you're totally wrong, and yeah, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. But uh, here's the thing about aggregate, especially Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is prone for chicanery, mm-hmm. in the nicest way to put it. Yeah. Uh, because you have now, and I, there's a couple cases of point. Take, for instance, uh, Star Wars Last Jedi. So you basically had people actually creating bots. You actually actually had people a, a, a smear campaign mm-hmm. to make it have a lower rating. And it was proven. And I, they came out and even admitted they were doing that. So I think they're really sometimes there's it's it's open for tomfoolery or whatever yeah. you call it. That's one of the things I don't like about it. Those those are great. I think they're a great um, tool if you want to, if you really want to decide whether or not to put the $12 down on a sure. full ticket. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's okay. I guess kind of the... Part B to that question is, it's with the age of the internet, it's so much easier for a viewer to just look up a score and go, okay, this movie's good or bad. Right. Why do I need to read some critics' review? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think and the fact that it's aggregate is important. And so right. sometimes if you go through and you read, like for instance, I have, I there's some critics I actually go to because I respect what they do. I don't agree with them all the time, but I know they've done their homework. Mm-hmm. And I know that they actually are not biased at least in a way that that toward you know they don't have a they don't have a uh, an axe to grind so to speak some do some is political i mean some of those things are out there and sometimes films get better reviews because of political reasons and things like that but for the most part i i actually i really i understand what you're saying we're saying that why would people need to care what i think well that's not what you do for to build an audience a critic's job is to build an audience and to get a voice and so if you stick to that, I think you can um, you, you can accomplish that. I hope I'm doing that. Um, but for the most part, you know, since, like I say, film critique, uh, criticism is like not a big monetized, wonderful, <laughs> right. you know, career opportunity. Uh, people that do it like myself, we do it out of a passion for movies. And so I believe that people who do have a passion for movies are going to find each other. So I don't have a problem with that. Well, here we are. We found yeah, it. Here we are. Look at us. Yeah, we've definitely found that that's true. There's so many, um, and even like people in the industry, like there's a bunch of actors who have a movie review podcast where they look at bad movies <laughs> just because they're trying to figure out like where it went wrong or <laughs> here's what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think people who do love movies are really like a big community and they do kind of gravitate towards each other for sure. And the same with the group. I belong to the Utah Film Critics Association. And like I say, I, I don't agree. I don't always agree with them. I really don't agree with the selection of last year's best film. Uh, <laughs> but I totally agree with it this year. Yeah. Uh, so, but to me, I, I will look at them straight in the eye and say, you, you're wrong about <laughs> I don't care, but I respect you. And, and I think like I say, people that we do it, we, we respect each other's opinions, even though we don't always agree. So one of the things you did mention was that there are just so many movies. Oh, my goodness. So do you think with, 
the addition of streaming services like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon trying to make their own original movies, is there just enough out there now that it causes like a negative or positive effect on the industry as a whole? Well, I think um, as when you add more content to, to any situation, you always run the risk of, of diluting it. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the, that's, that is a concern, but the way, because of these streaming services, they're able to monetize it. So if you can monetize it and get it out there, that's great. Case in point, for instance, this year is the first year as a film critic, we, I was, we, we get sent screeners discs mm -hmm. before the films come out, mm -hmm. but we are sent screeners to discs that are going to be on Netflix ne next week because they're being also released in theaters. So they'd be eligible for awards consideration. Right. Roma is one of them. Uh, Bird Box, the one that's out now, is that those are all net, those are both Netflix right. movies, but they but they also did release in theaters at the required places and right. times. So they could get the discussion. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we were begged by the, the by the uh, um, the studio reps, please go to see Roma in the theater. You're gonna do it will be such a great experience for you. And I'm like, yeah, but I had, I had something else going on. I couldn't I couldn't make it. I had enough family emergency come up, and so I was like, oh, I'm just gonna wait for it on Netflix. And I did watch it on Netflix. Actually, they did. They sent me a, a, a disc screener. I, I watched that first. So, mm -hmm. and, and it is one of the best films of the year. I really believe it's just uh, Alfonso Cuarón's one of his, his masterpiece in terms of art, in terms of what he's trying to say in a voice and cinematography and those things. So, yeah, it does complicate things a little bit, and it does make things feel a little less. I, I think until Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and those folks that are making these originals and doing things like that um, are they have a strong enough foothold in terms of awards consideration. I think that's when they get legitimized that way. If they can get legitimacy through the awards considerations and things like mm -hmm. that, and I think that's gonna happen this year. I think Roma is gonna take a pretty good chunk of some, at least a few awards in the, in the Oscars. So but that's, an, that's a Netflix movie. We were, sure. we were talking just the other day with another podcast who all they do is watch stuff on Netflix. It's not necessarily Netflix originals, but mm -hmm. It's just things they available just have on Netflix. Wet randomizer that just picks. And one of them, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. They've, they've seen some garbage. <laughs> I've seen there's some garbage on there. I just tell um, you right now. But one of the things we were talking about is if maybe critics have some sort of bias against movies that are released straight to streaming. Uh, you know, I think there was a time. Yeah, I think it could have been. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, if if they go to the effort to make sure. You know the studios go to an effort to make sure that we get screened for it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And if they just, but if they just said, "Hey, this is on Netflix, check it out," no, that, that's not going to help. So at it, all. it doesn't have the same like um, effect of, "Oh, it went straight to video" versus like right. You know, if, if case in point, they take for instance uh, this. My favorite film of 2018 is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I uh -huh. think it's, uh, in terms of what an enjoyable movie experience, it's like the most I've had this year or last year. So I'm saying to myself. When I, when I first saw my perception of that, when I first saw it being made, it's like, oh, this is this seems like something that's being directed video that was just good enough to get to the theater. Uh -huh. And it wasn't that way at all. It was planned all the way, and it looked and it was really well executed, well done, well written, well conceived, and, and really a, kind of a great uh, uh, communal experience, I guess, <laughs> to, for people who are fans of comic books and superheroes. Yeah. Um, so that and 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 those who aren't. So. Yeah, when you, there are there are perceptions there, and there are still going to be some, and I think sometimes it gets discounted if they don't if it's not marketed right. Um, but if, in terms of film critics, the, the, it depends on how they present it to them. So if mm -hmm. they say they hold a screening in a theater ahead of time, well ahead of time, um, or they send screening links or screening discs to us, and they make they, and if it's done well, 
I don't think it, it, it discounts it in any way. I think there's plenty of folks out there that, um, and critics out there that don't completely adore Roma. And this is, yeah. a, this is something that's made for, uh, to be released on Netflix. Last year, um, movie Mud, uh, not Mud. Mudbound. How was that? Mudbound. Mudbound. Mudbound was another film that was made just for, for Netflix. And it was one of my favorite films of the year. I thought it had some really good, really good performances in it. But that was one that was not marketed directly to the um, critics. And so I think that it, it depends. It's, it's a finesse uh, situation. If, they, if it's done right, it can still, they can maintain their legitimacy. Yeah. But sheer numbers, yeah. I mean, if it's so many, so many. <laughs> so if three or four is okay. But if there's going to be 10 or 10 in a, like a Christmas season, because that's usually when the Oscar bait movies right. come out. You know, so they, they call them Oscar bait. I, I, that's a bad term, but. You know, if they if they do too many of them all at once, it could be a problem. People who need to get out and have an experience that I think there's still enough out there. The thing is, I think there'll always be a market for it. Oh, yeah. We talk about that a lot. It's like, what is this movie worth? Like getting a babysitter, going out for two hours to go see it, or should we just wait when we can watch it in the comfort of our own home? Like some visual movies. Like what was the one we mentioned most Aquaman. recently? Oh. Well, no, it wasn't well, Aquaman. What we most recently yeah, so saw. we did physically go to the theater to see Aquaman because one, like on a tiny screen, the special effects aren't going to look as cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's more of like an experience versus like right. I'm not going to go out to the theater to see like a rom com or right. uh, something like that. Well, there's a couple examples too. Like Roma is another one. I mean, that the sound editing, I understand in that, and and I loved it from seeing it on my my home theater system. It's great, but they had the, the buzz is that the, the the IMAX or and or the film experience with the surround sound or whatever it may be the theater experience for Roma is even more intense because of the sound is incredible um, another movie is, is I, I wish that more people could see it um, um, it's the uh, rock climbing documentary that, the, oh uh, Free Solo yes Free Solo, free solo. Uh, I, I, I saw that on a tiny screen on a computer but I'm telling you that that is a movie worth seeing in IMAX. I mean, that is, I would, I would love, in fact, I would pay money to go see that in IMAX because mm -hmm. first of all, actually, I'm not sure if I would because I have a total fear of heights, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but it was thrilling to watch. Yeah. And it's actually, it's a documentary that I was actually into so deep that I was actually like on the edge of my seat. You don't get that usually with documentary. Yeah. I mean, that's really, it is sort of a real life experienced documentaries so those are kind of yeah. like that so there's like there's always going to be an experience that to be had only in a theater the rock climbing documentaries get yeah. me like i saw meru did you see oh, yes. that one in fact the same filmmakers I think, yeah i, think I was yeah. just like glued to the screen the whole yeah. time i was like oh, what what why are you doing this <laughs> yeah and this and the thing too by the way number two on my list after spider-man by the way is uh won't you be my neighbor my, my 2018 I goals. wanted to see that. Really well, you'll be able to see it on PBS in a few months, I think. They're actually pulling it out on okay. PBS. So I, I'm telling you, I, you know, in, the, in the world, there was so much div division and no way civil to each other. There's so many documentaries being made that, 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 that show the problems of the world. This is a documentary that offers a solution. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things about it. And, and it's done through a simple wonderful man who had nothing but purity in his heart and so that that sort of thing is a um the thing that we need so there, there's something i saw that in the theater but that's an okay movie to watch it at home yeah right? maybe you get the same great experience at home so those are always some things you can you can do so when it comes to the way you look at movies we talked a little about it a little bit is how you kind of tend to think of the movie more from the audience perspective yes of whether or not the audience is going to like it um 
well, not not so much like it, but give them enough information to make an informed choice. That's a, that's really what my goal is. Just okay. to make an informed choice. Just give them enough information. Okay. And do you think most critics do that, or are you a little bit more unique? I think I I I uh, I'd have to think. I think <laughs> I, I think I am. I, I I think I'm more unique than anybody else in this room. But no. I, well, that's true. We're pretty. Cool. I do believe that it depends on what kind of voice you have. It my voice. That's my voice, mm. and it's different. It's unique. It's going to be. There may be critics who. And I think most critics do consider their audience. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, a lot of critics and some people, some critics frown on the frown on this practice. And I'll say, if you this is the, the qualifier uh, critique, the qualifier review. So if you're a kid, you might like this movie, right? You know, or if you're into blood and gore and violence, and you like seeing people decapitated. This might be a movie for you, right? Okay. There's too many qualifiers in there. Right. Right? So yeah. to, for me, I do go down that road and say, okay. This movie might look like a kid's movie, but it's not. You know, here's why. And that's mm -hmm. why, why I'm trying to say it. So this is sort of a warning voice that I might have. Um, or I might have to say, you know, this movie was marketed this way. But it isn't. It's not. It's, it's like far from the truth. You know, it's yeah. not really what it is. You know, and there's some movies that are just so abhorrent in some of the content in it. And you, like they try and slide it in there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell you about that. I mean, seriously. I mean, right. There's a warning voice to be had, and if and I feel like I have been given a sacred, you know, <laughs> duty here, <laughs> it's, a, it's been my opportunity to like be the you know the warning voice for those things. But I don't consider myself that all the time. I I, I go to movies because I like them. I tell what I tell what I like about them. I tell what I don't like about them. That's okay. But there's an element to that where I always try to consider the audience. And I think you'd be done. I think most critics, personally, I think most critics would be silly not to. So if you if you go out there and say, you know, I'm going to tell you how much I know about art film, and I'm going to tell you all about this and that, and this sort of the, that's great. And if, if that's your audience, and you speak to the audience, that's great. But if you don't understand, or you're not trying to expand your audience and make it more of a general thing, that's great. So if you're writing for, you know, IndieWire or something like that, yeah, you can come out and say, you know, this is, this is why art people like us love this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not so snobby that I have to think, <laughs> and that's the thing. And I don't want to talk about any critic because some of them pick some films that I go, okay, it's your, it's your, it's your critique, it's your yeah. list, whoever. And I think to myself, that's pretentious garbage to me. But on the other hand, I still respect him to say that, that we can agree on other things. So yeah. uh, I, I really don't want to knock down other critics. I think they yeah. do a different thing, different ways. Because one of the things we like to look at is, yeah, this movie's not going to win an Oscar. But it's not a pile of garbage, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a fairly decent, well, entertaining popcorn movie. Well, I think for the Suicide Squad, put that out there. It won a freaking Oscar <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for makeup. But it was a pile of garbage to me, anyway. I thought it was a pile of garbage. So a lot of people may have liked it. I mean, you know, I, 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 I did not. Yeah, we did I, th I thought it was a, <laughs> we saw a super villain team and like yeah. uh, the stupidest thing in the world. Yes, we did pay money to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, and I would have. I mean, because it had all the earmarks of, and it had, you know, good, you know, quality actors in it and you know people yeah. in it will smith notwithstanding but anyway the it's it's one of those things where you know uh they have one of those you know it just may be mm -hmm. it just may be one of those situations where you just don't <laughs> know how to say this you know let me put it i, I let me bring it down to you lightly <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> this may or may not work out for everybody but it's okay to think just get you have to think you have to think about what you're trying to do and a lot of times you're thinking too much. And that, I've, I've caught myself doing that a lot, too. Yeah, when we were watching Bright, which is a Netflix original, mm -hmm. Jonathan was getting very caught up in, like, the world building. Because mm -hmm. it's a 
it's our world, but there's fairy tale creatures living in it. Mm-hmm. And he just like was having so much trouble. Ra- I was like, you're giving it too much thought. Just this is the world. Just go with it. Yeah. And then it'll be more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that is a challenge. I do. I do. And that, that's the problem with uh, Shyamalan that I have. It's like he, he's really great at building worlds. And, and he doesn't know where to go after that. Right? But he, he can't pay it off. And his payoff is always a gimmick. Yeah. And that's the problem that really I have trouble with. So. so this kind of. I think it's a good segue into one of our other questions. I don't know if this is the next one on your list, but basically, do you feel like some genres can be more forgiven? For, like, having a bad story? Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, so, like, you you mentioned the, well, if you like this, then you, and we do that a lot, because we're basically, like, if you're into hot garbage, you'll love it. Well, they're not, (laughs) but, like, if you enjoy lowbrow, gross-out, crude humor because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. 20 and you're in college. Yeah. Then well, you're going to like this movie. But obviously yeah. a 50-year-old critic writing for whatever newspaper is not going to like this movie. It's not they, my thing. You're I mean, not I, that target audience, Well, right? I mean, I had this conflict when with the Mighty Cyrus movie, you know, the Hannah Montana movie came out. I'm like, oh, crap. Who am I, I have nobody I can take the movie with me. Sidebar, so like my weird... dad, who is a 70-year-old man, Loves oh, Hannah Montana. <laughs> so yeah, so you have the Hannah Montana movie, right? So like, okay, so that's when you really have to qualify, right? If Hannah Montana's your thing, man, this is for you. Right. Great, you're, go you're knock yourself out. I, I can sit here and pick at the cinematography and the script and all these other things, but this is a Hannah Montana movie. I mean, what what can you critique about that? It is what it is. There's yeah. nothing yeah. to do about that. So there's some films that are, are you you have to qualify, right? Because they're qualifying in their, themselves on their face. I mean, they they have they have an audience off obvious audience horror film i'm not a horror film person i don't really like horror films because to me horror films are pretty cliche there yeah and i think okay we're gonna have a jump scare we're gonna have this hidden thing there's gonna be somebody evil possessed it's gonna be i just get so bored with it i mean i I really do and i'm like okay and then i get jump scared i'm like oh great you got me all excited for no reason uh but i will i do like a horror film that actually has something to say or is a little bit deeper some horror films are just so disturbing but they're disturbing in a way that that you like. Wow, that's it. and you say that for instance, and they also feature really great performances. Uh, Hereditary last year is one of those. I mean, it was filmed here in Utah, and it, it's a freak you out movie. <laughs> so yeah, we haven't most, seen it yet, but I've heard great things. Yeah, but the performance uh, and Tony Collette's performance in it is incredible. I mean, it, people are like pushing for her to get an Oscar. Yeah, and in fact, I would not be disappointed if she were, and that that's fine. Um, so that's one of those movies you go that okay. That's not if it's your thing. I would say if you if you like horror films, but you like a horror film that has something more than just the cliched stuff, this is definitely for you. And also be prepared to see some pretty disturbing images. I mean, really disturbing <laughs> images. I have no idea. I mean, seriously, involving children. I mean, it's really disturbing. And then there's also a film like, for instance, uh, I I really didn't like Overlord at all. Oh, really? oh, he saw that. I did enjoy that movie. I did not like that movie, yeah. but it didn't speak to me. And you have to be honest about that as a critic, too. You have mm-hmm. to be honest. Like, this does not speak to me. Sure. And so that's that's not so much a qualifier as saying, if you're into that, that's saying one right. thing. But you're saying, this does not speak to me. It speaks to someone else. This yeah. is another intended audience, and it's not me. It's like, you don't like it, but you could see why other people would. Yeah, and, that, and I, can, I can accept that. Yeah. I can accept that. However, there are some things that... I think too many people in genres, you talk about genres, mm-hmm. accept the genre for what it is. I'm into that, so I'm going to just like it. You know, I think there are actually some superhero fans out there, the, the comic book superhero fans out there, they're like, I'm just going to love it because it's got, you know, it's got capes, it's got superpowers and stuff in it. And they go to it and they go to it and they go to it. 
Same thing for the stupid Transformer movies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's those things still keep making money. And I'm like, really, people, why do you keep going to see this? And it's like, this is a Transformer movie. It's got talking robots in it. I'm like, hey, but they don't have anything to say. It's the stupidest thing in the world. Honestly, so, I feel like a lot of the money from Transformers does come from overseas. Oh, though. of course. And that's so. a, that's another equation, part of the equation. Like, for, take, for instance, Warcraft made a bunch of money. Nothing here. We right. we we are hardcore World of Warcraft gamers, so we saw that. Was that a shock word for you? No, I no. liked it. You liked it? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things we've talked about okay. with that movie is basically we'd love to sit down and watch it with like my dad, like somebody who knows nothing <laughs> about this. Yeah, because we don't know if we liked it because we knew the right. Like I I know or... all the backstory. Like I know all this stuff, mm -hmm. and so for me it was like well. It was okay, just because I already am familiar with it. But I totally understand how if you're not familiar with something, and, it it's, and it's weird, you're just like, this is what? And that was my that, problem with Bright, is I was like, this is too weird. I can't accept yeah. it. Well, so, for, yeah, well, like Warcraft, but that made a ton of money overseas. Right. And, yeah. so, and it speaks to a different kind of audience that right. goes to the movie. Um, the Great Wall, the Matt Damon thing. Oh, my gosh, that was really terrible. But it made much money. <laughs> and take for instance, like last year, The Meg. Here's The Meg, right? There's a movie. Loved oh, The it? Meg. Okay. I read the book. Like, <laughs> and, oh my and, God. There's a book? Was it a coloring book? It was book? originally a book. Oh, yes. was it a coloring book? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's by uh, Steve Alton. Yeah, I okay. I, yeah, I, I did realize that. So, for instance, The, the, the Meg, but that's, they're constructed in a way to go, oh, we're going to make money. Yeah. <laughs> it's built in making money. So what we're going to do is we're going to put Jason Statham, who everybody knows that they're going to go with Jason Statham. Not a very good actor, but he's certainly got a, a persona that people like. And yeah. He's an action star, right? We got him. But what do they really do? They sneak into there. The female lead is someone you've never heard of, but she's the Chinese Julia Roberts. Yeah. You know? I mean, seriously. <laughs> so they know what they're doing, and they're, and they're doing that to make money, and they understand it. The China, the China audience has just changed everything. And they'll keep making money if they keep doing that model they keep putting so-and-so in here and then somebody you've never heard of the great walls well great wall made a bunch of money right uh, here yeah i think there too might be like more of an international collaboration on movies because mm -hmm. what used to just come out of hollywood is now partnering with studios in asia like a lot of the dwayne johnson, yep, movies, dwayne johnson movies um are partnered with production companies in china the hugh uh the hugh brothers uh you've got the the shanghai one you've got and it, it um and now you got alibaba you've got you've got things coming out of middle east mm -hmm. and they're being you know they're being financed that way and so they are being used to to build audiences around the world to make money so to me, and, and that's one of my critiques too. When I, I can tell if a movie is made just to make money, I'm, you know, it's like unless you've got a voice or something to say. I mean, you might have an enjoyable popcorn experience, but for me, I, I can't sit there and say go see this movie. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sorry, but the Meg is one of them. I just, I, yeah, like I just have a soft spot for creature features, so yeah. Meg is right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. So we, I have some quotes here from you about uh, oh, no. Batman vs Superman and and keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, there we go. So he can chat to you about Batman vs Superman. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see. So from your review, Batman from my review, Superman, uh oh, not me. Justice. Would you give him B plus? Yeah. Most critics did not like this film. No, they. I know. I was pretty generous with that. Yeah. So. Uh, you said, so the good news is Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice delivers plenty of action and epic superhero drama. The bad news is it's not a well-structured film. Such flaws don't completely overshadow the cool factor of 
of having two iconic comic book heroes duking it out, which makes Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice worth a look and certainly worthy of being an adequate stepping stone to launch the new DC Cinematic Universe. Let me say first, I am a DC fanboy. Okay, when it comes to yeah. Marvel versus DC, I love DC. I, I mean, I like Marvel, and I basically, as a, as a DC lover, I am heartbroken that it is so very painfully obvious <laughs> that Marvel is so much better at making movies. <laughs> They're handing their butts and to them, yeah. DC just cannot figure it out. Like, they struck gold accidentally maybe with the dark knight trilogy mm -hmm. and i think that's still kind of you know held by many to be the gold standard of like this is what which was a comic book which was a divide basically the default of one christopher nolan who was actually right. a great you know visionary yes. so yeah there we go yeah. right and so after that they're just like let's make everything like that and dark <laughs> and gritty and you know and it's just not for batman it works for superman no and yeah, you know, I, I get that. So yeah, uh, you know, for me, I I don't I, I I don't have a I don't have an axe to grind with the Marvel versus DC. Sure, that's fair. I no, don't I just, care. I, I don't. No, no, no. I really don't. I don't care. I really care about whether or not they're good films. Right. I have bought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sure. I, and the reason for that is one Kevin Feige. So here's a person who is who's running the show. Yes. Okay. He understand. He had a vision. He came forth with it. He started out with the John Favreau, and they came together and they said, "Well, here's our vision for an Avengers universe. Let's make it happen." And so they did that, and they stuck to it. Now I know they made adjustments along the way and added sure. to things they didn't know they were going to do, but for the most part, they stuck to it. DC has they're rudderless. I mean, they really actually don't have somebody at the helm or a visionary out there. Now they're trying with, with Snyder. Snyder's been kind of their guy. See, and, 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 but he's problematic. He right? sucks. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say that's problematic because he's hit and miss. You right? know, originally, I mean, I don't know how involved Christopher Nolan originally was supposed to be, but obviously after Dark Knight, he, they were like, hey, he's going to be our guy. And he basically said, I'll, I'll produce it, but I'm not, you know, with Man Rydal. And write it. Yeah, so that's... Uh, he did a lot but he didn't direct it. And then Zack Snyder took over, mm -hmm. and Christopher Nolan kind of said, I'm going to go yeah. make the movies I want to make. And I... Great, I respect that. I want to see what he wants to make. But Zack Snyder, the one good thing, in my opinion, he can do is action. Mm -hmm. And basically the... Only part of Batman versus Superman that I actually truly enjoyed was when Wonder Woman shows up and you start getting like the kind of 300 zoom in, zoom out action, slow-mo, whatever. And I was like, okay, that's cool. This guy can direct an action scene well. But the rest of this movie is... And I was sad. I was sad because I want it to be good. Justice League came out and basically my, my glowing opinion of justice league where i was happy to have this opinion was man that was not bad <laughs> like it's sad where i'm like i'm just happy it's not bad like it's not good you put that in your put that in the headline hey it's not bad and, you know, oh, it's, it's, that's great so you put that in the review instead of your your letter or your star grade it's not bad and, it could be worse <laughs> it could have been worse bad. could have been it worse really than been. and yeah i guess I don't know if where there's a question in here, <laughs> but well, I guess discussion, you know, no, no, the discussion to me is I, I think it's based on expectations. So okay. I, and, and a lot of times it, to me, the best time, my best film critique experience is when I go to a theater, I'm going to a screening and I have absolutely no idea what that movie's about. 
I barely even know who's in it. I, I don't, I Pan's don't. Labyrinth. I knew nothing about Pan's Labyrinth when I went to go see it. And I was like blown away. Blown away. So I like to be, I do like to be surprised in a movie. I don't like, because like I say, these audiences are talking about it, They have a formula. They stick mm-hmm. to it. And that's what they want. So I think what happens to do, I don't think it's a term of lowering expectations. It's just eliminating them. Right. And I think if you could, we can do that more often as critics and we can do that more as audience members, then we can, I think, we can we can certainly sort through the garbage a lot faster. At the same time, it's kind of hard to have no expectations yeah. when it's Batman and Superman, right. two of the most iconic yeah. characters of you know, <laughs> modern literary, whatever you want to call well, it. Well, we did yeah. have that experience recently with Aquaman because we were like, there's no way this is going to be good, but we're going to go see it. Mm-hmm. And it was very entertaining. Well, and the crazy thing, too, like with Marvel is, in my opinion, some of their best movies are where it's characters that nobody knows about. Well, I mean, Guardians, of Guardians of the Galaxy is, in my opinion, the well, best one. Oh, yeah. And, and it's uh, amazing they pulled that off with, with no character development. What's the, yeah. what's the uh, Doctor Strange was great. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Well, I take for even Iron Man. Iron Man was a, like, a, like a C-class superhero right. in the Marvel Universe. I mean, it's like, they, why'd they pick that thing? Well, honestly, it's because like, they didn't have the rights to their most popular characters. <laughs> yeah, and so they go, oh, well, what do we still what do? But, but even so, he's the most unlikely of the of sure. most important superheroes in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. And right now, it is. I mean, he is the top. Robert right. Downey Jr. gets the top dollars, and that's the way it works. <laughs> right. But So I guess the real, the real thing is, and I, I think that uh, what I try to do as a critic is I try to divorce myself from my expectations. And, and that's why I don't go. Okay, and that's why I don't. That's why I don't pre- seek out trailers. Now, when it comes to Marvel, I mean, they come up with my Facebook feed. And I have no, I have no way of getting around those. But if I can go to a movie without expectations, I think I can give a more honest review. If we're, if we're going to talk about film in terms of an enjoyable audience experience, it's best to divorce ourselves of expectations as much as we can, as much as possible. Sometimes you can't, and I've admitted when I can't. But yeah, it's it's good, and I think and I think it's a good thing to do as a critic to divorce yourselves of extra days. I think it's also good for audience to do that, and, and I think if we could do that in terms of, I think we can look at things not with a critical eye, but with an eye toward um, this is a film, it's not something that I can control, and that's the hard thing sometimes. People want it, people because I think because the streaming services we want things now, we want things the way we want them, and now they have an interactive movie on Netflix. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, so these sort of things. Like, oh, I can do that. So I can make my own movie. I want to make my own world. It's okay to it's okay to let uh, somebody do something. So, for instance, Batman versus Superman. I sat there and went, you know, that's a pretty cool battle scene. And Wonder Woman showed up, kicked some butt. You know, I'm thinking, okay, that's okay. In between, I didn't really get the justification for why Bruce Wayne hated him so much. I that, thought that was yeah, a little contrived. That was. But for the weird. most part, it was doable. I didn't have a problem with it. It's okay. And the Justice League came along and I went, you know, I actually enjoyed this movie. I did. Enjoy this movie. I didn't wouldn't go. Wow, this is better than Avengers. But I'd no. say it's. I enjoyed the movie, and I I actually liked that movie. Um, Did you like Aquaman? I, I not loved. Okay, but, <laughs> I, but I, was it better than Justice League? Or on actually, par? I think I like Justice League better okay. than Aquaman. So another movie that you kind of looked upon more favorably than the majority of critics is Keeping Up with the Joneses, mm-hmm. which I loved, and actually mm-hmm. my parents even loved. So it you know, appeals to a wide range of people. Um, but so you'd said you'd given it a B overall. And then one thing that you will find memorable about keeping up with the Joneses is the chemistry and comic timing between the leading ensemble. You won't experience much art, but you can be entertained. But I think definitely sums it up like perfectly. <laughs> like, well, yeah. It's not going to win anything, but it's really fun to watch. Yeah. And 
for having such great actors. So it's Zach Galifianakis and uh, Isla Fisher are a couple. Yeah. And then John Hamm and Gal Gadot move in next door and like shake up their world. Is it Gadot? Gadot. Yeah. There's a way of saying it is really. Shake up their world. Yeah. But it's so, it has like everything you could ever want in a movie. There's comedy, there's action, there's, explosions and it has a 24 percent on metacritic i don't understand i think i think that i guess i think that's an expectation of the critic world and i think and not just critics but who uh that i hate to say this but i i think that sometimes people expect too much from films mm -hmm. um they want every comedy to be the hangover yeah they want every action film to be iron man and they want everything i think it's okay to say to yourself there are moments when you can be entertained in the film that it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And those are the moments I had some good laughs in that movie. I really did. And I, I this is something where I should have, you know, you have expectations or whatever, you leave your biases at the door. I think Gal Gadot is incredibly stunning. And, and, and I thought, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with it, and this is a moment where she could actually be more of herself and less of Wonder Woman. Yeah. So I said to myself, I like this person. Yeah. And I really like her a lot because she kicks serious but and she looks stunning doing it so yeah. that's kind of you can escape into that i can get that and john hams you know yeah he, he's been dinged all over the place and i think that a lot of people think that he's just a terrible actor because he hasn't made a really good film mm -hmm. i mean he's, he's, he's really like a tv actor he was like, but some right? people are expecting him like for instance uh or even like brian cranston has he had a major hit yet in a film not really but he, they, he's respected as an actor um right godzilla like godzilla yeah <laughs> But seriously, was, but did, did people go to see it for Brian Cranston? No, I mean that's my point. For fifteen minutes, yeah, he's like fine. Oh, he's like a, a spoiler alert. Yeah, but no, but I think but for the most part, but I think people, no, but I think I think critics sometimes fall into that same trap of saying every movie, if if it's, if it's not perfect, then I'm trashing it. Yeah. I think I don't think you have to sell out all the way, and that's not that's the way I I, I approach some films, and I say to myself, okay. I didn't really enjoy this film a lot, but there are some moments I did. There are moments in this movie where I got caught into it and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Keep up the Joneses, I said to myself, it's a great time. For instance, if you're a husband and wife and you want to get out for a, for a night out, this is a great date movie because you can't, as it speaks to the comedy of your, you know, parents dealing with kids, dealing with marital struggles and things like yeah. that. And they threw like a total farcical comedy in the middle of it, which is kind of the fun of that. Some of it, yeah. uh, cliches, the cliches are there. I mean, they're just full of cliches. Yes. It, it, it is. <laughs> but to, to, but there's some chemistry there and there's some moments there you go and say, it's okay. It's, so it's okay to like a film that isn't perfect. Yeah. I, I believe that's true. Well, and we've talked about this before. It's kind of lamenting the fact that there aren't enough kind of mid-budget movies anymore. Mm -hmm. And so nobody makes rom-coms. I mean, you get them on yeah. Netflix, but yeah. then they're like the quality of like Hallmark movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Whereas, you touched on this in your review of Keeping Up with the Joneses too, that date movies really aren't made anymore. Yeah. No, And why don't. do you think that is? I, I think that is because I think the, it, the expectation is too high. I think, I think the expectation is too high. Yeah. It has to be perfect. It has to be this. It has to be that. It's got to, every every romantic comedy has got to be when Harry met Sally. Yeah. It doesn't. And we talked about it in when we were reviewing All About Steve. Like romantic comedies as a genre, they're so cheap mm -hmm. to make. Right. Maybe there's just not enough of a box office return to make it worth it. Well, I I, I mean, I, 
I would not consider All About Steve a romantic comedy. I would consider that a mental illness. <laughs> I seriously, I, I think that is like, seriously, that's the most inappropriate comedy I've ever seen in my life. And like, oh yeah, by the way, stalker alert. Uh, anyway, but, but but no, I mean, so, but there are times you can go do that. There's actually a movie called Date Night. I mean, it was the Steve Carell, Tina Fey movie. Yes. I didn't enjoy that as much because to me, it tried too hard to to do some things that they're in there. And it, and they and they tried and they relied too heavily on the funny faces and or personalities of the stars to pull it off. Yes, date night, yeah. not to be confused with game night, which is which hilarious. is actually hilarious. <laughs> I did like that movie too. I liked the game night too. So actually, that's actually got some buzz in uh, in our critics group for for screenwriting. In fact, some of not some of our folks nominated that. So yeah, that movie was like okay, that was fun. I get it. But sometimes <laughs> some people go, oh, that movie is fun. Some of our critics walked out of. Names. They walked out of Robin Hood, the recent uh, Taron Egerton one. Went, well, it was sometimes fun. I said, no, it wasn't. It was hot garbage. It was really not fun at all. It was not even fun. We, we it wanted to see it. Bad. It was terrible. It was, it was awful. Yeah. But so, yeah, to your point, I think that there, uh, there, we, we, we raised the, the, the bar too high. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, I think we, we deprive ourselves of having a little bit of fun. And it's okay to do that. But that's not to say, oh, you're, you're hot garbage because you like this movie. <laughs> right. I think sometimes I think sometimes that fear of being perceived that way mm-hmm. is sometimes, and I can't speak for the critics, but I, I've caught myself doing it. I don't want to be the one that says this movie is good <laughs> when everybody else hates it. Mm-hmm. And I've caught myself doing that, but I try not to. I say to myself, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. If I like the movie, go to see it. But I won't tell you, say, rush out and plop down $12 a person right now and get a sitter and go see it. But if you have an opportunity on a date, this fits the bill. Yeah. Okay. So transitioning a little bit with what we've been talking about, especially all about Steve <laughs> and, and these movies, I want to talk about comedy because this is something that's come up where we've watched some comedies and it's really a hard question. I want to know your perspective. What makes... And this is kind of related to a question I tried to ask earlier. Basically, what makes a comedy successful? Like, as far as... Because the difference between a comedy and a drama... A drama has to be interesting kind of the whole way through. Whereas a comedy just has to make you laugh. Even if it's a bad movie, if you laugh 10, 15, 20 times, is it successful? I I don't know if you can put a score on that. I, I think that, to me... What, what, what you call successful, successful box office? Or well, I just successful? mean successful as like, it was an enjoyable experience. Enjoyable experience, movie. yeah. I, I think a lot of comedies make movies because they're, they're you know, they're marketed to an audience who wants to sure. go and see a, used to be Adam Sandler movies. You yeah, know, whatever. Yeah. No, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go see that movie because it, 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 I'm a fan of that. Juvenile humor. But yeah, we know that course. comedies can also fail as evidenced by the recent Sherlock and... Watson? Oh my goodness. By the way, if they don't screen it for Holmes and Watson. Watson. By the way, if they don't screen it for critics, that's a big, big red flag. Yeah, I was like, it came out already and it still doesn't have reviews. Like, what's happening? Uh, It didn't reviews because it didn't film, then critics didn't screen it. And those that did, I mean, I think it's a 7%. It's it's very low. It's very low. But either way. Um, So, anyway, to your point, um, I don't judge a film as funny by how many times I laugh. I I, I think it's funny to me is whether or not the entire experience mm-hmm. was funny and enjoyable. Sure. So there's sometimes there's a gag that works. And I'll say that in my, in my case, this, some of these gags work, they're funny, but when they don't work is when they're not smart. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go into the lowest denominator for a laugh, you've lost me. Sure. Incessant F-bombs, anything produced or anything having to do with Judd Apatow for me, automatically, and I'm gonna have a bias there, 
I think is is terrible. He has a talent to write funny funny dialogue, but he really goes to the easy crutch of the f bombs and the and the and the sexual humor mm-hmm. so fast. And I'm not a prude in here and say I can't make a funny joke about it or do that. But to me, if you're gonna go to the lowest denominator to get that laugh, any people around you're laughing, and a lot of times people are laughing, I'm groaning. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> that's not that's not to me. That's lazy. Sure. So they're lazy comedies and they're smart comedies, okay. and they're and they're hard to make because oh, yeah. they're really difficult. Probably one of the best comedies that I've seen recently is the Spider Verse. There's some really hysterically funny dialogue in that film, and it's really and Jake Johnson speaks most of it, but it's, it's pretty. <laughs> it's really so that that kind of thing to me, a comedy I don't judge in terms of the number of laughs, but the quality of the laugh. Sure, that makes sense. So, I just I I mean I don't mean to turn it into some sort of formula no. X equals success. Yeah. But it's just, we've watched some, some comedies where I'm like, okay, I really didn't laugh very much for during mm-hmm. that movie. Yeah. And maybe it's like a sequel and I laugh, I love the first one and I laughed a lot. Mm-hmm. And this one, I'm like, mm-hmm. there wasn't really that right. much that was funny. Yeah. And that was, I mean, again, I totally agree all about Steve is not a good movie, no. but I laughed enough that I was like, it well, was enjoyable. I- like I can <laughs> forgive uh, well, I mean, the badness <laughs> just because I'm like it. It accomplished its goal. Oh, its goal God. is to make people laugh and be a comedy. Yeah, and for me, it did that. Well, so that's me, why I said some it. things are unintentional comedy, and that that's the one that really <laughs> is, that 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 to me is the word that fits the bill there. So sure. I mean, a lot of them are like that. But you know, I think like they say, comedy is hard, and okay. the reason it is hard is because it's difficult to find that balance between the absurd. Mm-hmm. and what's appropriate mm-hmm. and something that's intelligent so i mean you got to have some sort of things for instance i think like the hangover you know, the original hangover the other the others were just terrible mm-hmm. because they they, they stopped too close to the right. formula yeah um but the first one was hysterical funny because you you, you let zach galvanac <laughs> let his personality shine through and this completely insane, insane situation and it was one of those great farcical funny comedies that you didn't know where it was going yeah I, we, now you know where it's going all the sequels were terrible because they're the same right. thing yeah but, <laughs> and they tried and they tried the shock value too much mm-hmm. so i think people try they think they, they do this the, the comedy is done lazily it's just a lazy yeah. lazy way of getting the cheap laughs and i don't i don't get into that um so for instance if you can make me laugh and you can make me laugh not by only what i hear but what i see um, uh, Edgar Wright is a good We coach. love Edgar Wright. Here, now, there's someone who knows how to make you laugh, but you may not know why you're laughing. So, for instance, you he, he is an incredible filmmaker because he knows how to use every single portion of that frame. And he can have things going on, Scott Brooklyn versus the world, things going on over here that are pretty funny that actually complement what's going on over here. So... Stuff like uh, Baby Driver is another movie that I really thought was pretty... It's an action film, but it had some really funny moments in it. Uh, Logan Lucky. I love Logan oh, Lucky. That is one of my new favorite movies. Uh, I've I watched mean, it like five scene, times. And I'm like, I, every- think, I, when I think <laughs> of the scene when they're arguing... arguing. <laughs> about Game of Thrones with the prisoners. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's just bull, man. He was supposed to come out with that five years ago. Don't tell me it's not you had, you had Dwight Yoakam there trying to explain, listen, it was in the book, but not in the... Se- yeah. That that stuff to me is, is hysterical funny because you've done something that people can relate to. It's it's, it's humor that's, that's funny because if, you, if you're a fan of that kind of thing, it's something that's going on. Yeah. But you can make it absurd... I think that's what's great fun. So I, I, I you know, to me, it's, it's it really is about the the quantity, 
not the quantity, but the quality mm-hmm. and uh, how much. And, and it's not about effort either. It's really right. about whether or not you have a talent for bringing those things out. Comedy is art. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm very, it's the hardest thing for me to like. Yeah, my thing with comedy was it's kind of where if it gets you to laugh enough, you're going to forget the parts of it that are kind of bad. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to kind of overlook it. Whereas you can look back you to those like did. three or four moments where it's like, oh, yeah, that was so funny. And you'll remember that versus like, no, I was bored for 20 minutes and like was yeah. looking for my phone. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Do you have anything you want to plug or? Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got a book, you got a blog. <laughs> no, uh, please check out my reviews at uh, cityjournals.com or cottwoodjournal.com. And you're on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I am Dan Meth, D A N M E T. You may get some movie stuff in there, but you also get some sports and politics once in a while. Although I'm not political as much as I used to be. Actually, I'm really going for my, my, my mission on Twitter is to, to laugh and to find the absurdity in all of it. <laughs> So I, I have a lot of fun with that. I do. I do. All do. I have my ideals and the different. So Dan Met D A N M E T on Twitter, um, and my uh, my reviews can be found on cityjournals.com or cottonwoodjournal.com. And I'd love for you to read me and share it with the world. And uh, if you disagree, you are entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> no, I'm not that mean. But no, seriously, I, I and I do make my list every year. And, and why I'd like people to look at that list and, and say, well, that's maybe I missed that one. Go check it out. Or you're full of stuff. And great. Make your own list. Share it with me. I'd love to hear it. I like to people, hear people's lists. It's really fun to go over them. Thank you for listening to One Star Bazaar. As always, please let us know what you think by reaching out on Facebook or Twitter at One Star Bazaar. You can visit our Patreon page to contribute to the podcast if you like what we're doing. Please rate and subscribe if you're willing. It helps us out and lets us know you're listening.